20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You know my guest. She's the one and only Carmen Vitale. You can find her on X or Twitter at Carmi V. Of course, you can find her on Fox Sports covering the NFC North. Carmen, before we jump in today, just really wanted to say thank you for all the time that you've taken out of your time to spend uh, some time with us Packer fans and chatting through the Packers and the NFC North all season long. Um, I'm sure we'll be in touch during the offseason, but this has been amazing and we really appreciate all the time that you put into this. Well, I appreciate you having me. It's been a lot of fun uh, this season, especially given the way that the season went. So I appreciate being welcomed into the Packers fan uh, community. It's been great. Of course. Of course. You're always welcome anytime. It is, of course, another non-slow news week in the NFC North, uh, specifically from a Packers side of things, although the Lions kind of have some things going on as well this (laughs) week. Uh, Let's start, obviously, with the Packers. And let's start with the decisions that Matt LaFleur has already made and made them rather quickly. Of course, they lose the game on Saturday to the 49ers, which we'll discuss in just a little bit. On Monday, he has his press conference and talks about taking some time to go through everything and everything is still pretty you know, raw and needing some, some time to review everything. Well, Wednesday morning, apparently he had enough time to review everything. He lets Joe Barry go from his defensive coordinator position. Chris Gizzy, strength and conditioning coach, has been let go. So clearly the message on Monday from Matt was that this team needs to be, you know, continue to get better. Things are going to get harder. He asked everyone to come back in the building better uh, when they get back in April. Uh, Clearly he is taking this to heart as well because he is looking for ways to improve this team and has wasted no time doing so. Yeah, I don't think it was necessarily a surprise, but I think I brought this up to you about like the strength and conditioning coaches because we had seen so many injuries that cropped up later. There were complications. There were setbacks. We saw that with the whole Jair Alexander uh, fiasco, I guess, with him missing so many different games, but not really knowing if he, he was going to be available week in, week out. Um, I think that that was probably an under the radar need for the Packers was to evaluate that staff. And clearly they felt like it wasn't meeting their standards. And Joe Barry, I mean, I, the defense got better as, as the year went on, but it was, I think, a little bit too little too late from that standpoint. I'm looking forward to seeing who they can bring in here. I think there's quite a few candidates out there that could bring something different and really make something of all of the talent that's on that side of the ball in Green Bay. I'm excited to pick your brain on that in a you know, second to what type of scheme or what type of defensive coordinator Green Bay could go after. But you mentioned Green Bay's defense. There's no question about it. They definitely played better in those last four games of the season to the point where people were questioning, well, well maybe he will be back. I went back and I watched those games you know, kind of with a fine tooth comb. I do think there's a lot of fool's gold there still, specifically. Um, obviously Minnesota, you've got a quarterback situation in that game, Jaron Hall, Nick Mullins. It was not an ideal Minnesota offense. They never looked to be in any rhythm, maybe give some credit to Joe in the defense there too, of course, but that was not your usual high powered Minnesota offense with Kirk Cousins at quarterback and Jefferson and Addison and Hawkinson wasn't in that game. Um, felt a little bit fool's goldie. Uh, the the Bears, it's their final game of the season. There's all the questions surrounding Justin Fields, Darnell Mooney's out of that game. And that one, too, um, I, I do think they've done a good job against that Bears offense, and I'm sure Chicago would have liked to spoil Green Bay season. It just didn't feel like the Bears ever got anything. And it's again, it's not like this is a juggernaut Bears offense at any point during the season. You go to Dallas, 
Dallas felt so tight to start that game. And there was like some weird CD lamb drama. And then all of a sudden you do get a couple breaks and give, I, I do give Joe Barry and the defense a lot of credit for the job pick, the pick six by Darnell Savage. But all of a sudden that game's 27, nothing. And then again, Dallas does everything they want the rest of the game, but they just had too big of a lead at that point. And then San Francisco, some good stuff, but obviously some huge missed opportunities with the missed interceptions. And then when the season mattered most, the the offense uh, or the defense, excuse me, has the ability to get San Francisco's offense on the field. Even this game, no Debo Samuel from basically the first quarter right. on, and it just all of it combined still didn't feel good enough. And I think Matt Lafleur made the right decision here. Yeah, I think so too. And that's kind of the tough part of this business is good isn't good enough. I think also what you this last these last few games of the season, the regular season and into the postseason, you also saw an offense that was clicking, so that the defense really didn't need. To especially in that Dallas game, the defense had no pressure on it whatsoever. They yeah. the offense jumped off jumped out to such a huge lead, um, and there was you know the the pick six that was involved there. But at the same time, the offense is capable of scoring now, and the defense can trust that. So there was no there was no point in the season where I felt like the defense is putting this on their back and they're going to help out this team. No matter what, they're going to go out and win a game for the Packers. And that's what you're going to need in this division going forward. Given the fact that the lions are looking like a juggernaut as much as they can offensively. And then defensively, we've seen some really creative stuff from Aaron Glenn, who's garnering head coaching opportunities or interviews. Um, And now you've got the Minnesota Vikings who have figured out their defense. They just need to figure out their offense. And the same with the Bears. The Bears are a sneaky good team. That defense did figure a lot of things out. I expect them to go into next season with some momentum. So to keep pace with just your division teams, you're going to need good isn't good enough. And that was, I think, what Matt LaFleur recognized. And it's, it's a hats off to him for doing that because I know something like that's not easy. A guy that you brought in, a guy that you had have had a longstanding relationship with, Matt LaFleur is a loyal guy, to, sometimes to a fault, uh, which we saw kind of this season. But I, I really commend him for making the hard decision because it's not easy. No, and, and to your point, not only in the NFC North, but if this is a team that has legitimate Super Bowl aspirations, especially the way their offense played in the second half of this year, and they want to continue to trend in that direction – you need a top 10 defense. I mean, maybe top 12 at worst, but like you need a top 10 defense to be able to compete at that level. Uh, Green Bay doesn't have that. They've never had it under Joe Barry. I think the three big things is never, like you mentioned, you never could really lean on them. You never felt comfortable in doing so. Number two, you never saw any real true legitimate improvements from year one under Joe Barry to year three under Joe Barry. Some of the same mistakes, you know, really, you know, kind of continue to happen. And then number three, there's not any one thing that they could hang their hat on that you're like, you know what? There's some struggles, but they do this really great. Really they're well, a ball right. hawking team or they're a run stopping team or they're like, there's not one thing that they did great. And you had all of that up together. And while it's a, a difficult personal decision from like a wide view, it, it just felt like it had to be done. Mm-hmm. Let's Absolutely. talk about Let's talk about some potential replacements or in whether it's a specific name of a coordinator or a scheme or uh, anything that you're looking to maybe copy from another team that's doing it well through uh, through the course of the league. What would you like to see or what do you think Green Bay should do as they sort of look for a replacement for Joe Barry? I know there's been like the big names like Brandon Staley that people want to kind of stay away from or I mean Vic Fangio, but that looks kind of predestined to the Philadelphia Eagles at this point. There's another guy out there, though, that I haven't heard any buzz about, and he was a guy that was let go in Jacksonville, and his name is Mike Caldwell, and I worked with Mike Caldwell at the Buccaneers in Tampa, and 
I don't think that his scheme is very aggressive. He comes from the, he came up under Todd Bowles. He does so many interesting things with the front and with Green Bay's defensive line. I just feel like he could do so many fun things with all of the pieces that are there and the versatile pieces that are there. I mean, you look at a guy like Lucas Van Ness, who they, Brian Gutenkus talked about earlier when they drafted him, like, well, we envision a scenario where he can go inside or outside because he's that versatile and that kind of build of a player. And you hadn't really seen a ton like that, a, a ton of creativity out of a guy like that. So I think a guy like Mike Caldwell could take advantage of that. And I just haven't heard his name floated anywhere. I realized he was let go in Jacksonville, but I think that that was more of a scapegoat situation where Doug Peterson had to make changes. I mean, he fired both of his coordinators, if I'm not mistaken. And so there's there was a lot of changes that needed to happen in order for Doug Peterson to keep his job. I don't think that speaks to who Mike Caldwell is as a defensive coordinator um, and the system that he runs and the staff that he has. So I would be very interested to go in and take a look at him. I don't know. It's a really interesting name. I think I've looked at all, every different uh, article and potential defensive defensive like name that's out there. I've probably got like 30, 35 names tabulated. This is the first time anyone's brought up Mike Caldwell. And it's a really interesting name to keep an eye on. Obviously, Jaguars defensive coordinator the past couple of years. But as you mentioned, worked in Tampa Bay. Really great job as an inside linebackers coach there. Devin White played his best football uh, during that time when Caldwell was there. Um, the other interesting thing would not be the first time that uh, Matt LaFleur hired a uh, fired Jacksonville coordinator who got scapegoated out of Jacksonville with Nathaniel Hackett, of course, being his off his first offensive coordinator when he took over in Green Bay. So there's been a little bit of history there. I guess there's well. a precedent for it. Yeah, there's some precedent <laughs> there for it. That's a really interesting name that I had not thought of and would be one to keep an eye on. I, I do haven't like heard anybody mindset. talk about him. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I do like your mindset, though, of like what type of defense and like how they could be aggressive with their defensive line and, you you know, utilize that front to the best of their ability. Maybe leave Ja a little bit more on an island on the, the backside because he's capable of doing those sort of things. I think, you know, some people might say, well, Mike Caldwell, of all the names out there, maybe, you know, maybe because it hasn't been mentioned or because he was fired, whatever it might be, that it might not move the needle for some people. But he runs a very similar type of scheme as to what a lot of Packer fans are saying that they want in this sort of defense moving forward. It's a really interesting name. I'm glad you brought that one up. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy. 
Yeah, and I think when you have a guy like Jair Alexander who can handle that island or should be able to handle that island, I mean, this is the top-paid corner in the league that you're talking about. Probably not for much longer, but he is a very he's very well compensated for what he does. And obviously, Ja takes a lot of pride in what he's able to do and how, who he's able to shut down. So I think that leaving kind of those guys on an island, and not to say that Mike Caldwell's scheme doesn't incorporate a lot of mixed coverages and stuff like that. It does do that, and you do need some pieces in the backfield. But again, I just feel like this Green Bay, the talent on the Green Bay side of the ball, we talk about so much about how it's there's so many first-round picks on that side of the ball, but there's also so many versatile guys that I feel like are under have been underutilized the last few years because the scheme just hasn't been creative enough to use them in different ways that I feel like they're fully capable of being used. It's, it's I don't disagree at all. It's going to be so interesting to see what type of coordinator they go with. Is it a experienced veteran coach? Is it somebody like a Mike Caldwell who's maybe had a cup of coffee as a defensive coordinator didn't work out, but they think it can work out better in green Bay with a different level of talent, or is it somebody completely fresh, somebody um, like a Christian Parker in Denver or somebody like mm-hmm. uh, that they bring in from the college ranks, like a Jim Leonard. There's so many different ways they can do this. I'm so interested to see just even the interviews that they set up. Is it like right. all like, you know, on the defensive backfield side, is it like all veteran defensive coordinators? Is it, I'm so intrigued. And I do think the really fun thing for Green Bay is they have a lot of really great options that are out there. And it's sort of hard to imagine that almost whichever direction they go in, that it's not going to feel like it's going to be an improvement in some capacity. Obviously, time will tell. A lot of people felt that way when they moved on from Bob Sanders and then from Don Capers and then from Mike Pettin and now from Joe Barry. doesn't always go that way, but I think there is a lot of excitement in Green Bay about moving on. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Packers 49ers. It's an interesting game in a variety of different ways. A game that Green Bay had every opportunity to win. I think everyone's uh, you know, obviously talked about a lot of the missed opportunities for the Packers in this game. Missed field goal, dropped interceptions. We can go on and on. What did you take away from this game, either as to what is a building block moving forward or what is something that Packer fans are going to rue for the history of time because they couldn't get this job done? Yeah, I, I I really hope that this isn't something that Packers fans are going to like it's going to sting you going forward because I know it stings at the time. And I think I even tweeted something like, listen, I'm going to let you feel your feelings because you were so close and there was the opportunity there. There's for all intents and purposes, I think the Packers should have won that game. But at the same time, you have to feel good about the future going forward. This was I, I know the term house money has been thrown around a ton when it comes to this, but it's true. I mean, nobody, this was not necessarily a priority this year was making a Super Bowl run. It was making sure that you have your quarterback under center and that you understand this team going forward and you have a foundation to build upon and that you have that and then some. So I hope it doesn't sting too much because I think that the future is so bright for this team. Although I do think there are some more maybe concerns going forward than people are talking about, just given the fact that Jordan Love, you know, you had three years of a team controlled contract. That's the drawback of this team building strategy where you did not take advantage of that in building the team around him. But the rest of the team is young too. So I, this, this strategy has paid off time and time and again. And I don't think that there's any reason to suspect it won't going forward in this latest chapter of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, I think that the love thing is interesting with the contract because it's obviously going to get a lot bigger when he does sign it this offseason, which I do think is a foregone conclusion. My guess is they're going to backload the crap out of that thing and probably give them two to three years of pretty good financial flexibility. The other benefit is the fact that 
They were able to get this far this year and probably should be in the NFC Championship game while having a massive Aaron Rodgers cap hit on their contract. And that obviously will be coming off. So even if that portion goes to Jordan, um, you still able were able to put this team together and have so much young talent. And if you get to a point where, well, eventually you're going to have to pay those guys those are usually good problems to have is to how, like right. figuring out how to keep really good players. So hopefully that is the case, but the point stands. They, they are like this, the superhero cheat code is that you have a really talented team with a quarterback that's on a rookie contract, not making any money. And that was one of, well, I, I liked, uh, like I understood the pick. I like Jordan as a quarterback coming out of college. The one line that was really tough to thread is like, like what's the, as long as Jordan's on the contract and you're using resources to draft other quarterbacks while Aaron's on the team, it's not helping Aaron. And while Aaron is going to have these huge cap hits while Jordan takes over, it's not helping Jordan. It's like, there's this really tough dynamic of threading the line between the two, but they've done a pretty good job of it. And hopefully they continue to do that moving forward. Yeah. I think the way that you, you kind of thread that needle or you tow that line is the fact that you have other young players on the team. This doesn't just concern the quarterback as far as, you know, drafting them, letting them sit and, and having them be on a cheap contract, you clearly can save money elsewhere when all of your offensive weapons, the, yeah. and a lot of times the second most, you know, uh, expensive guys on the field are first and second year players that you don't have to pay till 2025 or 2026. So that I think is going, and, and just what you said about being able to offload the dead cap hit from Aaron Rodgers and be able to kind of shift that money over to Jordan you need to figure out some stuff with David Bakhtiari if he's going to come back and if he's got like that's that's his that's the biggest cap hit on this roster as of right now. So it's going to be very interesting how they kind of move all that money around. But they're set up for the fact that they have receivers, really, really good receivers and a lot of them for basically next to nothing. Yeah, they really do. And, and you wrote a great article this week about the Packers team building strategy and how it served them well and how they should be able to continue to do it moving forward. I want to combine that and kind of go over that article while also asking you what were kind of your key takeaways from this season and what you'll be watching for from the Packers this offseason. Yeah, I mean, this is it was I think when it happens twice between like Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, you think, OK, there's something to this, but maybe they just kind of got lucky again. Yep. Now it's like, no, this is entirely on purpose. This is something that, and I think it's something that only works in green Bay. And that was a big part of my article was just talking about how, and I think we've, we've spoken about this before. There are so many outside pressures and politics that come with having an ownership group or an ownership family. And that's the situation that most teams are in, in the NFL, save for the Green Bay Packers, who are owned by the Packers community, by the Green Bay community. And that's not to say that there's not politics and pressures and stuff, because you still have Mark Murphy as the president, you still have a GM, but you don't have that immediate, okay, I'm I'm fighting, I'm coaching, I'm picking for my job, I'm evaluating for my job if you're Goody. There's a lot more patience that's involved when you are allowed it. And now that you have a track record to back it up and say, hey, this has worked for us before. This will work again. We just need some patience. That is afforded to you in Green Bay in a smaller market, again, without an ownership group. And I think it's really unique. I don't think any team can replicate it. And that's why Green Bay is like is so sustainably successful uh, because there's no – like this league is a copycat league, but this is not something that you can copy. And that's – you have to be – you have to feel good if you're a Packer fan. Uh, when it comes to stuff like that. So that was the main kind of purpose of my article and how much I learned that this is very much a intentional 
strategy that they have employed for multiple decades now since like the 60s and 70s basically since the Lombardi years and it's no coincidence or it's not a fluke and it's not luck that it's worked out um and I it's 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 maddening I think for other teams to have to see obviously the ownership part is a huge piece of it I also think there's a part of like what Ron Wolf did to tear down everything that was terrible about this team in the 70s and 80s and early like very early 90s to get it to where it's been like he he did so much of the heavy lifting during those early 90 years to get this team back in contention and to set a foundation that is literally still paying off up until this day where you've basically had this lineage. And I know there was a quick Mike Sherman blip in the radar in there, <laughs> but like basically going from Ron Wolf to Ted Thompson, Thompson. to Brian Gutekinst. Yep. And we're basically, you know, you're, you're um, Ron Wolf and you immediately go out and get your quarterback in Brett Favre. You're Ted Thompson. You find your guy in Aaron Rodgers. You're Brian Gutekinst and you find your guy in uh, Jordan Love. And just, it, it's really hard to imagine. I know it happened again in the seventies and the eighties, but it's hard to imagine with the foundation that they have set and with the structure and culture that they have in place in green Bay, it's there's always can be down years. There's no question about it. Those things can happen, whether it's via injuries or you just hire the wrong coach, whatever it might be that can happen. But it's so hard to imagine a situation, the way that they're set up where you're going to go another like eight to 10 years or like a decade long of just consistent, no playoff teams, you know, whatever. And of course, now that you have Jordan, it doesn't even seem like remotely feasible in the foreseeable future, but the the setup that they have in place has worked magically. And again, I think Ron Wolf deserves a ton of credit for kicking that off in the right direction. Yeah, that's a great point that, I mean, there was a reset that happened um, <laughs> during that time period. And yeah, and now and because of it, Packers fans haven't had to go more than a couple of months with a question mark of if their team is going to be okay going forward. That was yes, kind man. of my... A uh, little jab in there was just like, hey, you guys suffered two whole months this season. Two whole months where you had some question marks. And it was so that long, was it. it was so long. I know. I, I, I know. Like, <laughs> we, we were drowning. And like we, we were in the desert without water. We didn't know what to do. Um, it was hearkening back of like the handful of weeks where Seneca Wallace was at quarterback. Like we, it was, these were tough times. These were very tough times, but That's, we made yeah, it out. Which is why I had to talk y'all off a ledge in week six. <laughs> I wrote an article about it. It'll be fine. <laughs> Just chill. Are going all right. uh, what, are, what are some changes that you do think outside of the defensive coordinator? Uh, obviously, what are some changes that you do think Green Bay might need to make as they try to keep this thing moving forward uh, as they try to be competitive and um, going towards the Super Bowl? Yeah, I think when you're looking at needs as far as personnel goes now, you're ha you're having to look at that offensive line and figure out, okay, what are we going to do with David Bakhtiari? But also, I mean, there are other members on that line there are some that are young, but there are some that are kind of getting older uh, by offensive line standards and by Packers standards. I mean, this they single, I think the offensive line single-handedly up the age, the average age on the offense. And it's not because they are that old. And it's insane to say because they're quite a bit younger than, he, than me or than us. And I, I, but I do think that there are some things where you need to go into this next year knowing exactly who your starting five are, where they're starting, and you need these guys to hold up. And that's been the issue here is the injuries and the kind of shuffling around that it took a while for Jordan Love to really get used to things because of the fact that he didn't know who was in front of him protecting him or at least what combination was in front of him protecting him for the first part of the season after David Bakhtiari went out so early. So that is my number one thing where I'm going to look at, all right, 
who are you going to try and get in the draft just because offensive linemen tackles especially are expensive are you going to yeah. are you going to go after a guy like that in the first round um are you going to you know fortify that line with some depth and because i don't think you i mean you don't need skill players i know they have question marks with a couple of the depth tight ends but at this point you have your top two and they're young they're rookies so depth pieces there, you can get those in free agency. You can re-sign Josiah Dugara. You can do any of that that you need to, but uh, that doesn't move the needle at all. And then defensively, I mean, you're going to like, I, you need to see who you bring in and how much they, that varies or their, their preferred personnel varies from what you already have. I think you try as much as possible in these defensive coordinator interviews to bring in a guy that could work with the personnel that's already there because you do, I feel like at least from an outsider's perspective, you have all of this untapped potential that we were just talking about and you really want to see what you have in these guys and, and the way that they can be used. And you feel like you haven't gotten everything you can out of a lot of them. So it's going to be interesting to see, which defensive coordinator they bring in and then how they need to adjust the personnel to fit either his scheme or if how he adjusts his scheme to fit who is already in green Bay. But I think O-line has to be the priority going into this offseason. Those are all perfect answers. I love the fact that you brought up O-line because on the one hand, I do think they can at least sleep semi easy at night, knowing that even if they lose Bakhtiari to whatever happens with Bakhtiari, even if they lose John Runyon Jr. in free agency, Yash Nyman in free agency, that they can go left to right starting next year, Rasheed Walker, Elton Jenkins, Josh Meyer, Sean Ryan, and Zach Tom, which is basically outside of like half of the game at right guard of, of John Runyon Jr., what you've been playing during this entire run where they've been putting up you know 30 points a game. And you can sleep easy at night that you have that. However, after if those guys do leave or can't play, whatever it might be, your next group up at this point is Luke Tenuta, Royce Newman and Caleb Jones and maybe a Caleb Jones or a Luke Tenuta can step up and play that, but that is not a lot of depth and certainly not depth that you feel comfortable in. And we now know that if you protect Jordan with these weapons that he has, he's going to be really freaking good. The only thing that breaks your offense is if all of a sudden you can't protect him, you can't open up running lanes and Jordan's eyes have to start dropping taking his eyes off of down the field and he's got to do a bunch of dancing or you end up with an injured Jordan love. So priority one, a should still be protecting that guy moving forward, making sure when you give him this huge contract that you're also giving him the protection that he needs. So you're protecting this extremely valuable asset. And if you do, he's just going to cook. So yeah, you want competition, you want depth, you want to get better players in there. And even though you might have five guys that you feel comfortable with starting right now, we know that that lasts like a week in the NFL. And then all of a sudden it's a Royce Newman or a Luke Tenuta Mm -hmm. or someone in there that you're like, oh, this is a lot different now and things change entirely. So we are in lockstep a million percent on that. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk, uh, let's take our usual spinner on the NFC North before we get you out of here. There's not really anything to talk about Vikings. So we're not going to talk about the Vikings, but I feel so bad. I've been, I've been so busy with like all of the other things that I've completely ignored them. I promise if there's any Vikings fan that's, that's seeing this, I am going to get to your team as soon as the rest of these guys are out. And I am a little bit more able to and flexible. I don't know if they want to talk about their team right now. You're fine. I know that's true. I don't know that they're, yeah. Let's talk about the Lions. I feel bad. Yeah, you're good. Let's talk about the Lions because uh, they are still playing and they are right now Kings of the NFC North. They have the opportunity 
to go to a Super Bowl, the Detroit freaking Lions. Uh, they play the 49ers, obviously, this week. What are you going to be watching for in this game? And any other takeaways uh, from Lions Buccaneers, obviously, beating them last week? I'll just say really quick. I know there was an NFC center that was in the spotlight a lot this week at a different playoff game, uh, with uh, which was awesome, by the way. Jason Kelsey was amazing. But uh, what Frank Ragnow did in that Buccaneers game was in freaking credible. That dude is a stud of all studs. He is unbelievable and deserves so much credit for what he's able to do against Tampa. Somebody said it on Twitter. There's there's Warriors and then there's whatever Frank Ragnow is. And it's true. I mean, we talked to Taylor Decker, the left tackle in the locker room after the game, and he literally teared up. This is a six, seven left tackle that is crying in front of us talking about how much Frank Ragnow means to him and how much it meant that Frank Ragnow fought through everything that he fought through in that game this season in general. I mean, this is a guy that two years ago literally fractured his throat and missed I don't, I think maybe one game, two games, something like that. Like that's it. And then he earlier in the season, he has the meniscus procedure, misses one game, comes right back in. And you just, he's just an iron man. And it, it comes though, from a motivation to be out there with his brothers and to not let these guys down. And it means so incredibly much to the offensive line to have a guy like that from a glue perspective, from a culture perspective, but also, this team is a drastically different team when Frank Ragnow is not out there for the offense. Jared Goff is a drastically different quarterback than he is when Frank Ragnow is out there. I mean, they are second. I think there was a stat uh, Nate Tice brought up earlier in the season that was they're second in EPA per play with Frank Ragnow on the field. They dropped to 27th when he's not. That is an ex- like you can argue that Frank Ragnow is the most important Lions player on the field, even outside of Jared Goff and all of the, everybody else on that team. He could be the single most important factor in whether or not they win or lose a game. And I can't tell you enough about how you could not even tell that Ragnow was hurting after that, because it happened in the first half and he comes back out. I don't even think he missed a series. And then in the second half, you would have never known. And especially the fact that, What's really going overlooked is that Jonah Jackson was out at that point, the left guard, and so much so that Frank Ragnow is now having to help out his backup and take on more double teams, take on and and make sure that he's looking for work and making sure that his left guard is comfortable. It's wild. I mean, Taylor Decker helped with that too. They kind of, you know, those, those duties kind of get absorbed between those two, but Cannot say enough about them. Cannot say enough about the Lions and how much fun that they've been to cover. And just the culture in that locker room that I've talked about all season that stems from Dan Campbell being, he's an emotional guy. This is an emotional team. But I, it's its so funny to me that people think that that means that it, they could be distracted. I'm like, if anything, that focuses them more, that gives them more motivation because they are so in tune with each other and they want to go out there and play for each other. And more than that, they want to go out there and play for the city of Detroit. They take on the persona of that city more than I've seen any team do ever. And it's incredible the way that they take pride in nothing coming easy and putting their heads down and working and bringing joy to a just joyless city, uh, football city for the last few, few decades. Um, it's an incredible story and I don't expect anything to really change even with them not being at home in San Francisco this weekend. I'm going to be there and I expect to see a lot of Honolulu blue in those stands because Lions fans have traveled so well all season. I've been on, I've been to a multiple Lions road games this year 
And I mean, every time the stands are just decked out and they have their Jared Goff chants ready and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm really excited about this game. I think that the Lions match up weirdly well with the Niners. They have, I think, the best offensive backfield in the NFL between David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. And that's a weakness for the San Francisco defense, if you can call it that, I guess. I mean, they're they're a fantastic defense, one of the best defenses in the league. But they have a blind spot when it comes to the run game. And Detroit has so many different ways to beat you on the ground. And they have a line that is able to block for those guys, no matter what they do. If they're going up, if it's a power run, they're going up the middle with David Montgomery, sure. Jameer Gibbs bouncing to the outside, great they can do it all. And it, there's going to be probably a little bit of San Francisco going after that left guard spot or the, the left side of that uh, O-line. But I don't, I don't see them really backing down. I think they'll have a plan for that, especially given how creative Ben Johnson is. Cannot wait for this game. I think it's going to be so fun. Obviously chiefs and Ravens should be a ton of fun as well. Should be a great weekend of football. Before I let you go, one last question. I have to ask you about the bears decision to hire Shane Waldron as offensive coordinator, your quick thoughts on that and uh, how you think that might affect their decision with Justin Fields and the number one overall pick in the draft. Yeah. I don't think the hiring of Shane Waldron really tips the needle or tips the scales one way or the other, whether they're keeping Justin Fields or they're going to draft a quarterback in the first round, but you see what Shane Waldron was able to do with multiple different quarterbacks in Seattle. And then dating back to even a guy we were just talking about Jared Goff, Jared yeah. Goff has had two of his best seasons statistically under Shane Waldron. He got two different pro bowl nods under Shane Waldron. And he, Shane comes from that McVay Shanahan tree. That's very creative, but he has the play calling experience, which is something that Luke Getze was lacking when the bears took a shot with him And I think that when you have a defensive head coach, you need a guy that has experience on the other side of the ball that can almost act autonomously as another head coach for that side of the ball. I think Shane Waldron has proved time and again, he's gotten the best out of his quarterbacks, no matter what kind of quarterbacks they've been. I mean, Geno Smith is different from Russell Wilson, who's different from Jared Goff. And yet Shane Waldron was able to tailor his system to get the best out of them at each time while keeping a lot of the same kind of core principles, play action. He loves using his tight ends to kind of marry these concept, these play action concepts that are just, there's such a variety in what he's able to do, but he marries that with this power run game and it makes these offenses very complete and very hard to defend so much. So too, that it's hard to get a beat on them. You can't really pick up tendencies from a Shane Waldron offense, at least not as easily as it is with some other coordinators. I think this was a home run hire for the Chicago bears. I went on Chicago television this week and I talked about how proud I was of them uh, for investing in a guy like this, that has the experience and you're not just taking a shot at a young enough, young up and comer. Like you have a guy that's proven and he's been able to do this no matter who's under center for him. So good job bears. Proud of you. Well, thanks. No, I hate it. Appreciate that. Um, no, I do think it's a very good hire for them. It would have been interesting if they would have went with Cliff Kingsbury. I feel like that would have been a little bit more of a tell of what direction they were going in. But right. Then, then you know, Caleb. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't think that this necessarily um, dictates one way or the other, which, if they go with a rookie or if they go with uh, Justin. But that is obviously one of the biggest discussion pieces of this entire offense or offseason moving forward. Excuse me. Carmen, again, thank you so incredibly much for all of your time this entire year. I'm sure we'll catch up in the offseason at some point. But of course, tell everyone where they can follow you. And uh, again, just really appreciate all the time you put into this. 
Well, like I said, I really appreciate being here and you guys having me and feeling so welcome amongst uh, Packer fans. But anything uh, I'm doing is on FoxSports.com written wise. And then any of my appearances or shows or anything like that are on my Twitter at V or Instagram as well. Uh, I will be in San Francisco this weekend or in Santa Clara, I should say. Uh, seeing the Lions in the conference championship, and we're going to see how that goes. And then after that, we'll see. Uh, we'll see about Vegas. We'll, we'll roll the dice, but who knows? Um, it would be a good story if it happens, and I'll be there to to document it, which would be great. It would be a great story if the Detroit Lions were able to make it to the Super Bowl. Maybe not so much from a Packers standpoint, but <laughs> if you did have to tell us which NFC North team not named the Packers, we would want to be in the Super Bowl. It would a million times away be the Lions. So at least it's not the Vikings or Bears. I think we can say that much at least. But <laughs> Carmen, again, thank you again. Follow her at Carmen V C A R M I E V. You can find me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. That's going to do it for us today. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Mm-hmm.